that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And as we have seen in this wonderful epistle, upper room that upper room that I, the Lord we know, upper room that upper room that I, high priest, upper room that upper room that I, and taken away sin, given us the hope of heaven and access to you. I pray that today's lesson wouldn't just be academic, but but it would be impacting to our hearts and our lives in every way. So again, we just pray that, Lord, help us be settled in our seats. And, and Lord, we want to make sure that we're free from distractions, uh, from phones going off, things like that, Lord. Not because we, we want to be difficult, but, Lord, we want to be free to hear your word and wise, opening our ears to hear from you and softening our hearts to be taught by you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed as they'll be going up in the youth room and having their lesson. The rest of us, we're going to continue in our study in, in Hebrews. So we've covered the first nine chapters. We're going to enter into chapter 10 this morning. The book of Hebrews, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We, John has some. Pastor John in the back, he'll slip you a Bible if you're towards the front. We have some on the front platform. Hebrews the back of the New Testament, right before the book of James, in the 10th chapter, and we'll begin reading that verse 1. Now, if you've been with us in our study of Hebrews, and you were here last week, that in chapter 9, as we were concluding it, there was something very important that was told to us, and that is this, that it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. In other words, every single one of us that we're going to face death unless we're raptured, and we don't know when the rapture of the church is going to take place. No one knows the day or the hour, but we're all going to, you know, uh, our bodies wear out if we're not raptured, and, and then there will be a judgment. And what the writer of Hebrews has been showing us is that because of the greatness of Jesus' sacrifice, he was offered once to bear the sins of many. He has put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, so the good news for, for men, for women, who face death is this, that there is hope. <clears throat> the hope of forgiveness of sin and eternal life and, and to have access to the Father, relationship with the Father, and it all comes through Jesus Christ, our mediator. And of course, in the first nine chapters, we have looked at very closely in Hebrews, it has been declared to us in every way that Jesus is our hope. He is the only hope of forgiveness of sin and relationship with the Father in eternal life in heaven. And Jesus is superior to any religious person, any prophet, any priest, to any religious system. So you are to look to him. You are to put your faith in him. You are to, to ask him for forgiveness because he's the one that provided forgiveness of sin. He rose from the grave and he sits at the right hand of the Father. And as we read what is written here uh, in chapter 9, as they end it with a reference to Jesus' second coming. Matter of fact, this epistle makes three references to Jesus' second coming. And we read that he's going to appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. 
And we know that Jesus, when he came, he came first of all as the suffering Savior. The next time that he comes, it won't be for sin, but for judgment. And of course, the Bible tells us that he's going to come and he's going to judge the nations. Uh, he's going to rule and reign over the world. Psalm chapter 2 is that messianic psalm and declares that the nations are his inheritance and blessed are they that put their trust in him. Jesus, listen, is the one that sits on the throne. There is no other religious leader, no other prophet or priest that sits on the throne. Only Jesus does. And he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of all lords. And now as we continue on in chapter 10, we are going to look and, and conclude this section of Hebrews that began in chapter 7 concerning Jesus being from a superior priesthood. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And keep in mind that this epistle was written initially to the Jewish believer in the first century there. It's written to all of us, but that that initial reader would be very familiar with the law. They would be familiar with uh, the Old Covenant, the, the Levitical priesthood and their duties, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle that was out there in the wilderness that is explained to us in the book of Exodus. And what we are being shown here is that Jesus is better than all that. He's superior to all that and not to go back to it. So Jesus, as we follow the flow here of the book of Hebrews so far, he's superior to any religious leader, any, any angel. His priesthood is superior than the Old Testament priesthood. He brings a better covenant than the Old Covenant because it's built on better promises. And Jesus has established a more excellent ministry. Also, he, he established a better ministry because he ministers there in a superior sanctuary, not the earthly sanctuary that was My third service, my throat is trashed. <laughs> so you have to be patient with me. But he does minister in superior sanctuary, not the earthly sanctuary. And so as this discussion is being wrapped up, we will see that the writer here shows us that Jesus indeed provided a superior sacrifice, which put away sin. Once and for all, we're going to see that term used over and over again in this chapter, which the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament could not. So let's begin to read in chapter 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. In verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So as we've discussed, particularly when we're traveling through chapters 8 and 9, that the tabernacle out there in the wilderness was a shadow or a copy of the heavenly sanctuary. Uh, the earthly sanctuary was not the reality. In other words, for example, when you were coming in, as I was outside and I was saying bye to people and greeting people coming into the service, it's a beautiful day, it's a sunny day. As you came, you know, and I greeted you, I didn't come up and greet your shadow. 
I didn't try to shake the hand of your shadow. I didn't say hello to the shadow. Of course, I wouldn't do that. That would be weird if I did do that. Um, but the shadow is not a bad thing. It can tell us a little bit about the reality, but it's not the substance. So a shadow really testifies of a greater existence. And last week, as we discussed how the earthly tabernacle and the furnishings of that tabernacle described to us was just a shadow of the reality. So as we read here in verse 1, again, having a shadow of the good things to come, we read, the old covenant, as we are being told in Hebrews, is a mere shadow of the substance that is the new covenant. The animal sacrifices, as we know, were done repeatedly. They were done day after day. They were done year after year because there was a weakness in those animal sacrifices. They were a shadow of the greater sacrifice, Jesus, who died on Calvary's cross for you and for me. The animal sacrifices, verse 4, could not take away sin, but only covered sin until Jesus came and brought the reality. And he offered up himself, and now he takes away sin. So that's what's been told to us. That's what's going to be wrapped up in this discussion as we continue. Those animal sacrifices would point to the fact that it wasn't sufficient because they had to continue with those sacrifices repeatedly. And if the animal sacrifices could take away sin, then those sacrifices would have stopped. So here is a vivid reminder that once again that the old covenant was a shadow of the reality that comes through Jesus. Now, Paul the Apostle, when he was writing to the church at Colossae, he was writing about Jesus. In chapter 1, about the deity of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus. In chapter 2, he, he writes that Jesus, he is, uh, in him, is all the, uh, the treasures of knowledge and wisdom uh, that don't go to the worldly wisdom. And it's not legalism either. And in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbath, which is a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Now, perhaps you'll have somebody that will come and talk to you, and they'll say, Well, why don't you guys over at Calvary Chapel worship on a Sabbath day? Or why don't you observe these feasts? And I'll get emails or I'll get calls and get asked that. And, and if you want to observe the feast, that's fine. If you want to worship on the Sabbath, that's between you and the Lord. But here's the thing to remember, that Paul says, no, no one judge you according to those things. And the reason is, is because those festivals and feasts and new moons, the days that they observed, and the Sabbaths were just a shadow of the things to come. The reality, the substance, is of Christ. He fulfills all of that. So Jesus' sacrifice takes away sin, and as we've discussed, the guilt of sin as well. The animal sacrifices done year after year would remind the worshiper that their sins were not completely done away with, but as we've been told, Jesus died once and for all, then sat down at the right hand of the Father. Let's continue reading in verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. In verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. But then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. 
He takes away the first that he may establish the second, that by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And again, that term, once and for all. So what is being told to us is the writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Spirit of God, goes back and quotes from Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, showing us that Jesus came to this world, that he declared his willingness to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice under the new covenant. And as we read in verse 5 there, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. In other words, once again, more and more animal sacrifices would not ultimately please God and provide the requirement for the forgiveness of sin, but a body you have prepared for me. And that would fulfill God's requirement for forgiveness of sin, and that would please God, that would come through Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. And in verse 7, as we're reading this conversation, if you would, between the Son and the Father, uh, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book, it was written of me. To do your will, O God. Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, which would ultimately be going to the cross. Sometimes when you get into more liberal um, you know, churches that uh, like to really focus on a social agenda or something like that, or uh, they, they seem to kind of preach Jesus in a way that he came to be a great humanitarian or a great philosopher or a great teacher. Sometimes given the, uh, the, the thought or the mindset of, well, Jesus kind of fell into unfortunate circumstances and, and died unjustly. Yeah, he died unjustly, but it was ordained for Jesus to do that. He came for a purpose, and that was to die for you and for me. And we know that Jesus spoke of that when he was with his disciples. He said, listen, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to rise again after three days. And you might recall that in John chapter 3, early in his ministry, that here comes Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the master teacher of Israel, we were told in that chapter. He dedicated his life to keeping the law and teaching the law to others. And he comes to Jesus and says, we know that you come from God, because no one could do the things that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, that if one is going to see the kingdom of God, he must be born again. It's not through the law. It's not through all the sacrifices. You must be born again. And Nicodemus was really struggling with this. And he's going, what do you mean? Can you enter your mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, ah, oh, Nicodemus, you're the master teacher of Israel. You should know that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And you must know that you must be born again. So Nicodemus was told that, and then Jesus said, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And as Jesus got closer to the cross, particularly in John's narrative, as you read that he would say, my hour has now come. Before that, for example, the first miracle that he performed at the wedding in Cana early in his ministry, he told his mother, my hour has not come. When they came in Matthew's gospel and he wanted to crown him as king, he dismissed the crowds because he said, my hour has not come. But in that final week, right before he goes to the cross, he says, my hour has now come to be lifted up. For you to be glorified, Father, and it would come through his death and burial and his resurrection. So Jesus here, 
came for a purpose to die for you and for me. And what is amazing is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Isn't that amazing? Before the world was even made, it was ordained that Jesus would come and die for you. He knew you before the world was made. And you're here today in the message that he gives to us through his word. He said, I came to die for you specifically because of my love for you. Now, most of us, I know by far, have responded to that love and the invitation to come to him. But Jesus came to this world for a purpose of dying for you specifically, for your sins, that you might be forgiven and have the hope of eternal life and now access to the Father, as we're going to see, as the writer here is going to conclude all of this by telling us the privilege that we have to be able to come into the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. And as you think about it, it's so incredible. You see, I hope this is more than just theology for you and for me. But it would impact us because this is real. And Jesus came because of his love for you, that you might spend eternity with him, in Philippians chapter 2, Jesus, uh, it tells us, took on the form of a bondservant, humbled himself, and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And Jesus, being offered up for you and for, for me, notice, again, once and for all, that term, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that he's propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation just simply means the satisfaction for our sins. And thus he provides forgiveness and eternal life. You might recall also that in the garden, and this is important, they remember when Jesus is sweating great drops of blood and he's praying to the Father, he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. If what is possible and what cup? If it is possible for any man or any woman to be saved, it if it's possible for them to, to be forgiven and have access to you through their own merits, through their own religiousness, even through the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, the cup of suffering and death. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus went to that cross freely and willingly for you and for me, and he told the disciples that I am going to take on the cup that the Father has given to me. He told James and John's mother that I'll be baptized. Will, can they be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? That is baptized unto death and suffering. And Jesus went to the cross freely and willingly to prove that he is, listen, the only way to forgiveness of sin as he made provision for you and for me, dying once and for all, and eternal life and access to the Father, nothing else or anything else. And that's why Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. And the work is completed. And know this, you Hebrew Christians, that it was the Old Testament writer that you're familiar with tells us that uh, the, the, the old covenant sacrifices and offerings could not completely provide the propitiation for our sins. But one came, written in the volume of the book, that inhabited a body, did the will of the Father and died for the sins of the world and died for your sins. So you keep your eyes on him. 
but your faith in him because he is the final solution for our sins. He takes away the first and the old covenant sacrifices through Jesus. He establishes the new, the new covenant, which means God's will and satisfaction comes through Jesus Christ being the propitiation for you and for me. And then verse 11, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Put yourself in their sandals in the first century there. There they are, those, those Jewish believers coming out of Judaism. They're being persecuted. Their families oftentimes would, uh, would disown them. Uh, they were ones that, you know, were... were held out at arm's length, and we're going to read about actually later in this epistle how much they were persecuted. They would even lose their possessions. And here they are, they're looking at the temple, the smoke rising from the sacrifices, the, the people bringing the sacrifices, the temple worship and the trumpets blowing and all of this, and they're thinking, should we go back to that? Was it all for nothing? And this truth here that is being told to them would really impact them. And make sure you Hebrew Christians who had a tendency to want to go back to the Old Covenant, want to go back to those things, those sacrifices cannot please God, ultimately. Done over and over again, and it reminds you of your sins, knowing that you're going to come back the next time you sin with the sin and trespass offering the next year. And know this, as you're looking at that magnificent temple and you think that's where God dwells, that he now dwells in your heart, the old covenant couldn't even bring you into the presence of God. You couldn't even come into the temple. You couldn't come into the tabernacle and then behind the veil only the high priest could once a year. This would have really impact and meaning to them, and I hope it does for us as well. But let's continue reading in verse 12. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, verse 17, their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Now there, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So as it's reiterated that the earthly priests repeatedly made these sacrifices, and it's reiterated and reinforced once again, that he offered himself once and for all to take away sin. So the writer here is just really driving this point home to the reader. And you guys are watching all those sacrifices there at the temple. Jesus made the complete sacrifice for you, impacting their hearts and their lives. Jesus did it once. And he accomplished completely, perfectly what those animal sacrifices could not do. And that work is for those, verse 14, I think this is important to point out, for those who are being sanctified. You see, when John writes in his epistle that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the whole world, Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the whole world. But listen, it is very clear the Bible makes not everyone is going to be forgiven and be saved. Sometimes people think, 
well, I can do good works and I can be a good person and that's sacrifice enough to be forgiven by God. Or God loves us all. We're all going to end up in heaven together and, and all of this. You know people that have that mindset. This is for those who are being sanctified, which means they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. That word sanctified means to be set apart for God. The one who has recognized their need for Jesus to be forgiven and has cried out and pleaded the blood of Jesus Christ and surrendered their lives to Jesus. And what we are going to see as we continue in this chapter, that after this section, he's done wrapping it up, that he's going to emphasize, again, the writer, that judgment will come to those who are looking for anyone else or anything else to bring salvation and forgiveness of sin. If you don't look to Jesus to be saved and forgiven, there is no other salvation or forgiveness of sin. There's no other sacrifice for sin. And we need to understand that. And then in verses 16 and 17, the writer gives and quotes from Jeremiah 31, again, the new covenant, which we saw and discussed in chapter 8. And because Jesus brings the new covenant and a better sacrifice, there's no longer need for any more sacrifices for sin. And then the writer of Hebrews begins now to just sum this up, the thought of completeness of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Verse 19, I have it underlined it here. Therefore, brethren, having boldness, they enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on Calvary's cross, we can come boldly, or that is with confidence, into the Holy of Holies. Now, most of you know the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle Again, as we've discussed, uh, in the temple was behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat on top. And only the high priest, only he on one day a year could come in with the blood of sacrifice to sprinkle on the mercy seat. That's where the Shekinah glory of God was. That's where the tangible presence of God was. So these guys reading this, the initial reading, they're going, wow, that now because of what Jesus has done, a better sacrifice, a greater priesthood, that we can come into his presence? The old covenant, Aaronic priesthood, didn't bring the people into the presence of God. Didn't even bring them into the, the temple itself or the tabernacle. So what I hope and pray for us is that this would really impact our hearts that we have the wonderful privilege and opportunity to come into the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ, what he did for us, who he is. Becoming a sacrifice for you and for me, taking away sin, being a propitiation for sin, rose from the grave and conquered sin and death and sits at the right hand of the Father. And in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished, you know that that veil rent in half that separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies, and it came down, and for the first time the priest could see into the holy of holies, and that was amazing to them, and it was like the Lord was saying, open house. Come on in into my presence. And as I mentioned, it would be absolutely amazing for them to read this. And I do hope it does with us. We don't come boldly into the presence of God, the holiest of all, because of our merit in our own confidence, you know, in our own boldness, but in what Jesus Christ has done and provided for us. 
So he begins to tell us again what this all means and how it should impact us. Let's continue reading as we'll finish up here in a few minutes. But a new and living way, verse 20 tells us, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Listen, this is important. Three things. Three, let us, okay? First of all, let us draw near to God. In other words, take advantage of this access that we have. The high priest, when he went behind that veil once a year, that was a very sobering thing. It was a very awesome thing. And tradition tells us what they did when the high priest went behind the veil on the Day of Atonement uh, into the presence of God, in, into the Holy of Holies, that tradition tells us they put bells on the hem of the garment of the high priest. And they also tied a rope on his ankle. And what they did is, as he went behind the veil, if they heard a thud and the bell stopped ringing, they knew that he was struck dead. That he wasn't worthy enough or something went wrong. And nobody dared go behind that veil and go get him. Because Leviticus chapter 16 tells us that if anybody besides a high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, on, you know, uh, even on another day if the high priest goes in, he could only do it on that day and only the high priest, you're going to be struck dead. So what they did, tradition says that if they heard a thud and the bell stopped ringing, they would pull him out with that rope and pull him out into the holy place. Now, whether that's true or not, that's, that's what we read, that's what tradition is, but it was a very awesome, sobering thing. And what we're being told, listen, as we have the privilege and opportunity to come into his presence, we don't just do it with arrogance, we don't do it flippantly and like whatever and disrespectfully. We do it in awe, don't we? In amazement. Understanding what is being declared to us, that the Father desires for you to come. Because you now have relationship with him. That you are the adopted son and daughter of our Lord, that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And he wants us to come to him every day, as many times as we want, to fellowship with him. He wants that. He wants that closeness. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we can do that with amazement and just a sense of just rejoicing and thanksgiving. And, and that's what we're being reminded of here. Enter in, draw near to God with a true heart and a full assurance of faith and a fullness of faith. He's talking about our object of faith, and that is Jesus. What's been declared to us in these 10 chapters that we've covered so far? Faith that it is God's desire that you do approach him, to come into his presence. That's why he offered his son. And our hearts, verse 22, have been sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with water. Again, that would ring a bell with the reader because the priest in Leviticus chapter 8 would be washed with water to be consecrated unto God. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ to take away sin. Gives us a clean heart, cleanses us of a guilty conscience. What I mean by that is we can move forward in the Lord and serving Him and knowing Him and, and you know, he takes away the guilt and shame, and our bodies are washed with pure water. Now, there's different, you know, thoughts. What is exactly being thought of here? Is it baptism, water baptism? 
And baptism, remember, is that declaration that I am a Christian, identifying with Christ in that newness of life, right? So we're baptized not in order to get saved, but to declare to everyone that we are saved. Some believe that it's speaking about being washed with the water of the word, Ephesians chapter 5, or being washed by regeneration of the Holy Spirit that is spoken of in the epistle to Titus. I think it could be those things. So here, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, let us draw near to God. And then the second let us, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Listen, this is important as well. Hold fast the confession of your hope, and that is Jesus. The one who is faithful. He's faithful to forgive you. He's faithful to you as you come in faith to him, as you come with a true heart. Don't waver. Know that Jesus is the only one that can bring forgiveness of sin and salvation. He is superior to any religious system, any religious person. His sacrifice is superior. And don't waver in that. And unfortunately, Christians can. Because we listen to the voices of culture and society that says, how can you Christians say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? That's what God, Word of God declares. How can you Christians be hateful or intolerant or exclusive in and, and all of this? Because Jesus is the only way to heaven. Hold fast that confession. He's the only means of forgiveness. He's the one that sits at the right hand of the Father, none other. He is our hope. Listen, don't waver in that. Because unfortunately, more of the church is wavering in that. Well, Jesus dying on the cross, what you will hear, you know, that's for us as Christians. But for other people, there's other means to heaven, other means to salvation, not according to the word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, but I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And we're to love people enough to tell them, listen, this is what God's declared and Jesus came to die for you, and he loves you, and he desires for you to be forgiven and surrender your hope to him. And I pray that there's no one here that you're putting your hope into anything else or anyone else or even yourself. We have the, been given the doctrine basis for what is being told to us, God's truth, that Jesus, who he is, the great high priest, what he did for us in dying for our sins, that he's the one that provides eternal salvation. He's the one that is the, able to save to the uttermost. Hold fast that confession. Let's hold fast to that, okay? Let's be settled in that. And then the third let us, given here, just a couple more minutes and we're done. First of all, let us draw near to God. Second of all, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And then thirdly, let us consider, verse 24, one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. This again is important. Listen and hear my heart on this. I am convinced that one of the ways that Satan gets a foothold in our lives or discourages us or has a better opportunity to beat us up is to isolate us from other Christians. And here the writer is saying, listen, let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. Don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And I know that there are some people that they can't be in fellowship. They're, 
you know, because of health reasons or shut-ins or whatever the case may be. But for us, and I, I also know I'm preaching to the choir here, but for us, it's very important for us to understand the command given, don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, especially as you see the day approaching. What is the day? The day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? Well, if you've been here long enough, you know the day of the Lord is speaking of uh, the tribulation period and includes the second coming of Jesus Christ and then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, that time where God's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. And before that, I believe that the church is going to be raptured. And I believe that we are rushing towards that time and getting closer. And Paul the Apostle, he would write to Timothy that in the last days, it is going to be perilous times. That in the last days, evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. So he's also telling Timothy, listen, make sure that, that you stay in fellowship. That you continue in the truth and in the scriptures. And it's very important for us in these days that we do as well. That we consider one another for love and for good works. Listen, to learn to love each other. And that's something that the Lord's still working in me. Because it's not always easy. We come in with different backgrounds and experiences, and, and we're all different, but we're one in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? But to love one another. And Jesus said, you will know that you're my disciples. How? By how big your church is? How many people you got coming? How big your building is? How big your program is? Those things are all secondary. But what I hope and pray that as people come into this place, that they would sense and perceive the love of Jesus Christ that is here in this place, the love that we have for one another. Listen, it is brutal out there, and the world isn't going to love us. The world's going to hate us. So may this be a place where we can come together and really encourage each other and build each other up and love one another. And listen, Calvary Chapel is not a perfect church. We will never be a perfect church. There is no perfect church. This is not heaven. And I know that some people that you've been through some real hurts with churches and disappointments, but make sure that you stay in fellowship with a group of believers or here at Calvary Chapel and, and make sure that you're here because there's benefit and blessing in order for us to love one another and encourage one another and have relationships with one another. And that takes time. Now, Sue and I were talking about uh, this week, we just had a, a sense of just really being thankful to the Lord for the relationships that we've had over the 20-plus years that we've been here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. And listen, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I see it and sense and know that this has been a tremendous blessing and a privilege for me to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel Greeley. And my family has been greatly blessed and benefited by being a part of this church and, and me being able to have the opportunity to pastor this church. I never want to take it for granted. It hasn't always been easy. I've made plenty of mistakes. We try to continue to do ministry with great integrity and honesty and going before the Lord and, and pleasing the Lord in what we do here. But it's not a perfect church. And it will never be perfect. This isn't heaven. That's what I'm trying to say. But he's growing us as a congregation from glory to greater glory. And he's teaching us and showing us. 
And I hope and pray that you feel blessed and benefited by being here as well. Get connected with people. Get to know people. Guys, go to the men's breakfast. One hour. You know, get plugged into to different things that we have opportunity for you to be able to fellowship. In third service, you have a little bit more time after service, but Sunday mornings, we're shuffling people in and out of this place, and it can get so crowded in here, 9.30 and 8 o'clock, and, and so it gets a little bit more difficult. But be in fellowship, and I know that you guys are. You know, one of the things that we've done is we've made it easier for people to hear the teachings, and I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful that we have live stream, that you can listen and see the service, you know, on our website. And, and it's great for shut-ins. It's great if you do miss it because we're not going to be here every Sunday. I get that. The weather's getting warmer. You're going to get away with your family. You're going to enjoy the mountains. I understand that and, and appreciate the opportunities that we have to be able to do that, to be refreshed and renewed in that way. But don't disappear for six months. Be in fellowship. You know, Wednesday night's a great opportunity if you're going to be gone on the weekend to come. And it isn't that God's going to love you less if you miss Sunday or, you know, you're going to get judged and all this. No, it isn't any of that. But here is a commandment given to us. Don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together. And it's great to be able to go back and, and hear the service and listen to it. But, you know, when I get an email from somebody, well, sorry, Pastor Jeff, we haven't seen you for the last six months, but we've really enjoyed just getting up and being in our pajamas, drinking coffee and listening to the service. And I'm kind of going, we miss you. We miss seeing you. To be in fellowship with one another. We need each other. And there is blessing and benefit in getting to know the brethren here and getting to know other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that's what I'm trying to say simply. Don't miss out on that. And I pray that this is a place where you can be blessed and benefited, where you can bless others and use your gifts to exhort and edify the body of Christ, where you sense the love of Jesus Christ to grow in relationships with others. And if you ever feel like Calvary Chapel Greeley isn't your home church, then find a place, find a group of believers, a church that you can get plugged into and continue to be blessed in fellowship with others. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a commandment given for us, for our benefit, to stir up one another in, in love and good works. You know, sometimes I'll go into the children's ministry area where the kids begin to, to you know, gather and stuff and they kind of they provoke one another hey you know you're going to do this you're going to do that and they're running around stirring each other up so let's stir each other up okay let's encourage one another hey be in fellowship be in prayer let's continue to study the word of god especially as we see the day approaching because it is coming very rapidly we are rushing towards that time and may calvary chapel greeley be a blessing to those who are here and a blessing to this community as we hold fast a confession of our faith proclaiming Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for today's lesson and being here. And I thank you that we can go over these chapters that I pray isn't just theological or intellectual. It is technical. But Lord, that we would understand that it should have impact on us. 
Oh, that Jesus, our great high priest, came and died for us because of his love for us, ordained before the foundation of the world to take away sin, to give us hope and access to you. So I pray if there's anybody that's here this morning that you've never made that commitment to Jesus, he is your hope. He is your only hope. It's not yourself, it's not anyone else, it's not a church. It is coming and recognizing your need to be forgiven and then to cry out to the Lord because the invitation is given to come, to call upon him and believe in him. And you will be forgiven as you recognize you're a sinner, as you give your heart and life to him, coming in faith, believing that he's the son of God who died for you, rose from the grave, and is alive. Will you do that right now? Today is the day of salvation. And you can pray right where you are, Jesus, I come to you, and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner. I I know that. And I believe what has been told to me, that you died for my sins once and for all. So forgive me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior because you rose from the grave and you're alive. And you're my hope. I believe that. My salvation. And I thank you for bringing me into relationship with the Father. I want to know you and walk with you. I want to please you with my life. So I thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you did for me.